0: The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business.
1: Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News,
2: profiles and practices of top performers. Kathy and I are your leadership development coaches, and between us, we have helped thousands of leaders and executives perform in the top 10%. And today's show, we're very fortunate and privileged to have Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, a world authority in helping successful leaders get even better by achieving positive, lasting change in behavior for themselves, their people, and their teams. Marshall's newest book, which we'll talk about, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, is a New York Times bestseller, a Wall Street Journal number no. 1 business book, and the winner of the Harold Longman Award as the best business book of 2007. Uh I've had many clients who have really been enjoying this and we're looking forward to uh picking Marshall's brain a little bit more about how to use this. And you know Kathy and I we like to bring you the best in current leadership topics, interviews with proven leaders and provide evidence-based uh, best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. And now let me welcome my co-host uh Kathy, Dr. Kathy Greenberg.
3: Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. We're going to talk to you today about some really exciting self-management tools that Marshall Goldsmith is going to share with us. But you know that on all of these programs, we try to talk a little bit about leadership and help you, the listener, understand that leaders are really the heartbeat of the organization. And most leaders really, truly (laughs) underestimate just how much influence they have over others and thus, they and their teams can underperform, but doing just a few things differently can drastically improve your performance and your organization's. And what you'll learn in each of these shows are things like how to develop more leaders in your organization, what happy companies know about performance, emotional intelligence and positive psychology strategies that, you know, Relly leads us on. We talk about brain and neuroscience, generation differences, work-life balance, strategies for managing your bo- managing your boss, but today... We're going to talk about self-management tools, and I'm very excited that we have uh, Marshall Goldsmith here with us today, and he's going to give us lots of tips and tools. So we're going to get to that very shortly. really great, and uh,
2: welcome, Marshall. We wanted to just have you say hello before we move on. Hello, good to talk to you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we're really glad to have you. A very privileged. So, before we get into the uh, the depth about some of the strategy and tips you have, why are we talking about leaders in Well, we know leaders have anywhere from 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their group. And like Kathy said, emotions are contagious, and leaders are the emotional thermostat of the team. And we also know that in your organization, if you can get somebody into the top 10%, they're going to be uh, twice as valuable to your organization. So you want to get your B players to be A players. and. Many times the way to get someone in that area is look at some of the behaviors that Marshall is going to talk about, and many of these rely in the emotional intelligence domain. And we know when you add coaching to training, training helps, we know, and it can help get about a 22% uh, bump in productivity, but when you add coaching and training, a lot of the research is showing you get about an 88% increase. And if you can bring coaching networks inside your organization, studies show that... um, Happiness is tied to profit by more than 93%. And what we want to look for, and I think Marshall will lead us into this, if you can do one or two things differently, what we call these micro-initiatives, small things but can have a macro impact. And if you want more information about some of the programs that Dr. Kathy Greenberg does, uh, she can be reached at www.h2cleadership.com. And if you're interested in more of the programs that I do, I can be reached at www.truenorthleadership.com. And Kathy, you want to introduce Marshall here?
3: Oh, it would give me great pleasure. I am a big fan of Marshall. Um, we've been friends for uh, quite some time, and um, I'm, I'm just thrilled to have him here. Recently, uh, so excited, the, the American Management Association uh, named Dr. Goldsmith as one of 50 great thinkers and leaders who has influenced the field of management over the past 80 years. And Business Week listed him as one of the most influential practitioners in the history of leadership development. He is a fellow of the National Academy of Human Resources, um, and he has top HR honors that are unbelievable. We won't even go into them here. His work has been featured in a New York profile, Harvard Business Review interview with um, Business Strategy Review, cover story with London uh, Business School and major business press acknowledgments everywhere. Uh, Just to name a few, the Wall Street Journal uh, is one of the biggest ones because it is uh, where Marshall was named one of the top ten executive educators in the world. Forbes listed him as one of the five most respected executive coaches, the Economic Times in India, one of the five gurus of America, and the economist in the UK named Marshall, one of three most credible executive advisors in the new era of business, and Fast Company named him America's preeminent executive coach. And I cannot tell you what a thrill it is to have Marshall here today, we worked on a couple of projects together, including a book called Global Leadership Next Generation and some books for the Drucker Foundation book series. We just saw each other at a linkage conference a, a week or so ago, and I'm I'm on like cloud nine. Thank you for being here, Marshall.
4: Thanks. Kathy, thank you for asking me.
2: Well, thanks, uh, Marshall. I'll start off with a question. We want to start a little general, some questions that we typically ask, and then we'll get specifically into some of the tips and strategies from your book. But to start off, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you came into work in the field of talent management and leadership.
4: Well, I do three things. I teach classes for business leaders, and that would be either executives or high-potential leaders. And I do that either inside corporations or at business schools. Then I do what's called executive coaching, and my clients are either CEOs or could be CEOs of big companies. And then I I write and edit books and articles, so that's the three things I do. I got into the field when I was a young uh, college professor. I was a dean when I was 29. I met a famous man named Dr. Paul Hersey and learned what he did, and and he kind of helped me out, and I followed him around. And one day he got double booked, and he said, do you think you can do what I do? And I said, I don't know. He said, I'll pay $1,000 for one day. I was making $15,000 a year, so I said, Paul, buddy, sign me up. And I was fortunate enough to do a program for the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. I was very successful, and that's how I got into executive education. So a lot of life is luck, and, of course, I had a lot of great people help me out.
2: Well, good. So as you kind of move forward, um, maybe to highlight, uh, you talked about Paul Hershey, a couple of other key people that may have influenced you as a leader.
4: Well, the people that have influenced me, again, I've been very fortunate. I had the privilege of spending over 50 days with Peter Drucker before he died. I was on the board of the Peter Drucker Foundation. Uh, Richard Beckhard is a great mentor of mine. I get to spend a lot of time with him. Uh, Frances Hesselbein is a good friend of mine, CEO today of the Leader to Leader Institute, a woman who's greatly helped me. So if I had to say, you know, the people that have influenced me, those would be the ones, uh, And, again, it's just very fortunate. The first book I did was called The Leader of the Future. That was many years ago. It was, you know, Francis Hasselbein and Richard Beckhardt and Peter Drucker and me. And I was certainly, to say I was a junior member of that crew would be a generous estimate. I was sort of the, you know, nobody member of that crew. And they were kind enough to help me and uh, really give me a big boost in my career and my life. So I've been very, very fortunate to, you know, be around some very, Uh, influential people who've taught me a lot.
3: Marshall, one of the things um, that you have become uh, extraordinary at is uh, helping people manage talent within themselves, within their companies, as they grow as leaders. Can you talk a little bit about how you see the future of talent management and leadership development shaping up, given the changes um, in what we see as market conditions underway?
4: Well, Kathy, as you know, I mean, it's tough out there. And I think one of the things you're seeing is just increasing global competition. I don't know. My experience is the people that I work with today seem busier than they've ever been in their lives. That's my reaction. They seem to be. So many people are working, you know, 60, 80 hours a week with uh, new technology that follows you everywhere you go, global competition, I, uh, you know, I, I see people as working really hard and being under a lot of pressure today, much more than the past. Let me give you an analogy. In the old days, you know, in the old days, you go to work even for a company like IBM in around 1980. At Armonk, you could have fired a cannonball down the hall at five o'clock and hit no one, right? The place was empty. These people worked, you know, 40 hours a week and took five week vacations. As far as I can see, those days are pretty much gone. People I'm around out there seem to work real hard. I don't know Kathy. Before we go on and answer the question, do you have a similar feeling? Oh, absolutely.
3: Uh, I know uh, Raleigh probably feels the same way. But every company I walk into um, is working twenty four by seven. And the other night, as a matter of fact, three a.m. in the morning, my my aim was pinging me. Yeah. And I got up and I had a, a woman in the UK who was pinging me about a question, and she was very Obviously embarrassed that she woke me up, but I felt compelled. My accountability got me out of bed, and I was
4: pinging her back. Yeah. Well, I think that in the future of talent management and leadership development, a couple of suggestions. One, I did a research study called Leadership as a Contact Sport. And if any of your leaders would, uh, you know, like to see the study, they can either email me, Marshall at marshallwillsmith.com, email you guys. I'll send you a copy of it. But it's a study we did with 86,000 people in eight major corporations. And in our research, we found that the key to effective leadership development, and really this goes back to what you're talking about, is you have to build in follow-up. If you just send people to classes and that's all you do, there's really not a lot of evidence you're going to see positive long-term change in behavior. They have to do something when they get back to work. So I think one of the changes in leadership development is going to be more focus on follow-up measurement and long-term change. And I think the other thing that's going to change the future of talent management is people are going to have to learn to do things efficiently. I wrote another article called Team Building Without Time Wasting. I think really there's going to be a focus on doing things that Or giving ideas that leaders can implement without sucking up hours and hours and hours of their time. They don't have hours and hours of their time. And then I guess one final trend I see coming down the road I'm very excited about is something called peer coaching. I have two PhD students writing dissertations on peer coaching right now, and so far the results have been spectacular. And I think peer coaching is exciting because, I mean, CEOs are not going to get peer coaches. But every first-line manager is not going to get a fancy executive coach. And peer coaching is something that you can scale to the masses of people, and you can really get a lot of positive long-term impact by training people to be peer coaches. And the peer coach, you might say, well, maybe the peer coach is not as good as your manager being the coach, or why isn't your manager the coach? Sometimes at the first level, the managers I meet are managing 20 people They're managing 20 people. They're getting hundreds of emails a day. How much coaching are these people going to do, given those schedules? Not much. What I like about peer coaching is everybody coaches one person. Everybody is a coach, and everybody has a coach. And maybe the peer coach is not, quote, as good as the manager. Maybe the peer coach is better. But the peer coach is probably better than one-twentieth of the manager. So that's a third exciting development. So I would say long-term measurement is one tra- one change as opposed to just going to programs. And you all have already talked about that one. And then a second trend is doing things that are very efficient as opposed to time-consuming. And then a third trend I think is very exciting is peer coaching. I
3: love that. That's, that, that resonates beautifully, I think, with um, what you've been trying to do in increasing self-sufficiency around leadership. And I know Raleigh and I in the coaching industry see more capability in people than we've ever seen in in their understanding of why peer coaching would be a phenomenal
4: experience for anybody. And, Kathy, as you know, my my work in coaching really is not coach as know-it-all expert. It's coach as facilitator. So I'm not playing the role of some expert who sits there and preaches at my client's. Mm -hmm. I'm more of a facilitator that helps them learn from the people around them. That's why the process is transferable. I mean, I can't teach others to be experts, but I can teach them to be facilitators.
3: Well, we'll be right back with Marshall Goldsmith here on Leadership Development News.
0: line in business Voice America business
6: Once upon a time, there lived three energy hogs. Now, an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day, the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage.
4: Let's look for leaky windows,
6: said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's look for leaky doors, said the second. Let's look for a swing set, <laughs> said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently, they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelled a clever girl named dreadylocks
1: I hope it has leaky windows,
6: cried right, the first energy hog.
5: I hope it has leaky doors.
6: Cried the second, I I'll second. be there at the bathroom, cried the third, for only his brains were smaller than his bladder. But dreadylocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org. And from energyhog.org, she learned how to use energy wisely. So the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road. And the moral of the story is, to use energy wisely, log on to energyhog.org or waste not, hog not.
1: This public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy
0: and the Ad Council.
6: This is Ed Hanway,
1: CEO of Cigna Corporation. Join us in celebrating all babies, those born healthy and those who need help to survive. Go to MarchOfDimes.com and tell your special baby's story. Read other stories, too. And while you're there, learn how you can help the March of Dimes fight premature birth and give babies a healthy start. What a wonderful way to celebrate babies. MarchOfDimes.com
0: internet's only all business and financial radio network voice america business
1: Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers, with your hosts, Doctors Kathy Greenberg and Riley Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. I'm Dr. Riley Nadler. We
2: have Dr. Kathy Greenberg, and we're privileged to talk to Dr. Marshall um, Goldsmith here, the author of What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Marshall, just before you ended, you were talking about, you know, the coach as a facilitator. and There's a lot of coaching going on out there, but how does your um, coaching differ, you know, from maybe other practitioners in the field?
4: Well, my coaching is very specific. What I do is help. Very successful leaders achieve positive long-term change in behavior. That's all I do. So my work is very narrowly focused. I don't do strategic coaching or life planning or other types of coaching. Mine is focused strictly on behavior. And, again, it's not a good or bad issue. It's just what I do. I have a very unique approach to coaching. I work with my clients for a year to a year and a half and don't get paid if they don't get better. And better is not judged by me, nor is it judged by my clients. It's judged by everyone around my clients. So in that sense, uh, that's kind of different. In terms of teaching, and i want going to go back to what Kathy said, what I try to do in terms of my teaching is teach people how to build in follow-up so they actually achieve positive long-term change. In many ways, I see what I do is kind of trade school for executives It's not really like graduate school. It's more like trade school. I'm not trying to help people learn. I'm trying to help people do. As I've grown older, I've come to believe that if you sit in a class and you learn things, but you don't do anything different, Mm -hmm. the world does not become a better place. Also, one of the great misassumptions of leadership development is if they understand, they will do. Well, that's not true at all. When my book was the number one ranked business book in the whole United States, the number one ranked diet book sold ten times as many copies. Americans get fatter and fatter and fatter and buy more and more diet books. If reading diet books would make you thin, Americans would be the thinnest people in the world. Well, the problem is not reading diet books. The problem's got to go on the diet. Well, the problem with what I do is not understanding what to do. It's, it's doing it. And if you read my book, what got you here won't get you there. You can read the stories and laugh and go, Oh, oh, oh what a bunch of goofy people. Well, the goofy people in the book have IQs of 150. They're CEOs of multi-billion-dollar corporations, and they're the ones who are trying to get better. Well, I'll tell you one thing: this stuff's easy to understand; it's hard to do.
3: I I cannot resonate with that stronger. It is. It's extremely hard to do.
4: Uh,
3: it appears that um, the the kind of the leadership requirements um, that that we have in the marketplace today differ very very. Radically from what those leaders that we used to work with require. How, how do you see? How do you see that differ today, based on where you are and what you're doing?
4: A lot of at the high end, especially at the CEO level. I mean, and again, I don't want this to sound wrong because these people are very, very privileged people. But there's good news and bad news if you're a corporate executive today. And the good news is they make a lot more money. That's not a theory. That is a fact. They make a ton more money. The bad news, they are under incredible pressure. Uh, Sarbanes-Oxley pressure, uh, ethics pressure after the Enron scandals and all that broke out. And also, the Internet, the business press has totally changed. These people today are treated like political candidates. And the business press, which used to be really positive about corporate executives, now borders on vicious And with the advent of cell phones, everyone has a camera. So what I tell people today is you are constantly, as a CEO, on display. One of my clients is a future CEO of a large company, and she asked her uh, boss, who is the CEO, about the coaching. And she said, does this coaching mean I have to watch what I say and how I act in every meeting for the rest of my career? The CEO said, welcome to my world. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is exactly what it means. Every meeting for the rest of your career, if you're a corporate CEO, people are looking at your face or listening to what you say. They may have a tape recorder going that you don't even know. They may be snapping photos with their cell phone in these meetings you don't even know. If you yawn in a meeting, somebody may take a photo of you or go to sleep. And another thing is a lot of times people don't understand what a corporate CEO job is like. They think it's all glamorous. Fifty percent of their life is spent watching excruciatingly boring PowerPoint presentations where they already know what the people are going to say anyway. And they have to, you know, they're probably sitting there drinking coffee trying to stay awake, yet they need to be interested and enthusiastic. And I teach people, I said, look, you're the CEO. They're all looking at your face. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you've heard that presentation before. It doesn't matter if you know what these people are saying. You've got to look interested and enthusiastic. The second you look checked out or like you don't care, you're devastating these people who put months into preparing this stuff. So, you know, one analogy I use, and Kathy, I know you like this one, is I, I give you an analogy of a Broadway play. My main home is Rancho Santa Fe, California. My second home is in New York on 42nd Street. So I love to go to Broadway plays. And the analogy I give CEOs is I say, look, you go to Broadway play every night. That kid gets out there on stage at Showtime. That kid is busting his or her butt night after night after night and you know what, they don't have a chance to say I'm sick or my foot hurts or, you know, my mother died last week, it's showtime. And I say to the CEO, I said, you know what, you make a lot more than a kid does. You get out there every day, guess what, showtime. And I think this is much more true than it's ever been in the past.
3: Oh, I think, you know, Riley is dying to say something here, but I just <laughs> wanted to I just wanted to throw in this little statistic I've had at least three of the CEOs that I have worked with on the cover of Fortune magazine over the past couple of years as up-and-coming executives. Mm-hmm. They are no longer not only up-and-coming executives; uh, they, um, you know, they they have moved on into into other industries, into other fields. And now the idea to be on the cover of Forbes or Fortune or any of the the great business magazines is high risk.
4: Oh yeah, you're a target. Yeah. You're a target. I listen. I work with another CEO who was he was ranked number two CEO in the United States three years ago. He's gone now. Mm. Now he's gone. Okay, really sorry. Your turn. That's right. Right. <laughs> well, I think Marshall,
2: the, what you've been saying is so true. And I try to take that same message, even if it's if CEO and other levels. I think anybody into leadership that are under the spotlight. Go, going back to what you're saying on Broadway shows, they're under the spotlight twenty four seven. And I think people don't realize that, that they're under the spotlight. So not only uh, everything that they say and do, you know, is under the spotlight, but everything they say and do is magnified because they're under the spotlight. And I think most leaders, thats what going back to what we said earlier, underestimate their influence. They just don't realize the spotlight's always on. Or like you're saying, I have to add this now, they got the uh, phone camera is always on. And uh, any little uh, behavior change
4: gets noted. Well, you know, I had one experience... This year, I have never had. This is the first time in my life where a person who is a potential CEO and has been chosen to be the next CEO has told me, I don't want the job.
3: Mm.
4: It's never happened before.
3: Well, you know, on that note, let me ask you this question. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges companies face acquiring and retaining the kind of leadership talent that they're going to need?
4: Well, if you look at the biggest challenges, I'm really not an expert on acquiring. Mm-hmm. So I won't try to answer that question. I'm pretty good about trying to not answer what so I don't let's know. Do retaining. Yeah. <laughs> back to retaining. I think uh, today leaders manage knowledge workers. And Peter Drucker said the leader of the past knew how to tell. The leader of the future knows how to ask. If you're managing knowledge workers, you have to be very good about including them, involving them, making yeah. them feel valued. If you don't, they're going to leave. And, by the way, this is true not only in the for-profit sector. It's true in the not-for-profit sector, and it's true in the military. I teach in the New Admirals Program for the United States Navy, for example. And uh, in teaching in the New Admirals Program, these people are managing, in essence, high-technology leaders. The people they manage have multiple graduate degrees. These are not idiots. They speak multiple languages. So there's an image in the military of the admiral or general yelling and screaming at people. That's history. They don't do that. If they did that, the people they manage would just leave. These people can get more money someplace else. They don't have to be there, right? So I think that basically the idea of a leader is changing, where the leader's role is much more working with people, a facilitator. It's not telling people what to do and how to do it, because the problem is the, quote, subordinates know more than the leader in most cases today. And when you're managing Knowledge Worker, the definition is they know more about what they're doing than their boss does. You can't tell them what to do and how to do it. Oh,
3: absolutely. Millennials, in particular, which is the up and coming population within many companies, will disengage. And uh, if they are our future, it's more important that we understand how to manage those folks than ever before.
2: And I think the, the, the good news, at least for our listeners, we'll go back to these micro initiatives, Marshall. It, you know, it's these things that happen in the moment. You know, and it's these things that happen in maybe uh, 30 seconds, 3 minutes, 4 minutes, 5 minutes. It's, it's not stuff that necessarily, you know, has to be hour uh, after hour. It's all these interactions. And maybe with that, you can tell us a little bit as we start getting into your book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. What was, maybe what was the impetus? Because I know you've written a lot of books, and, and somehow something must have sparked you to say, this is what I want to do, and then we'll get in specifically what are some of those areas.
4: Well, the one of the inspirations for What Got You Here, Won't Get You There came from Peter Drucker. He said, we spend a lot of time teaching leaders what to do. We don't spend enough time teaching leaders what to stop. Mm. Half the leaders I meet don't need to learn what to do. They need to learn what to stop. Mm. Well, if you look at my new book, What Got You Here, Won't Get You There, it's, a lot of that book is what to stop as a leader. And that idea, I can't say, I originated the idea that came from working with Peter Drucker good to hang around smart people they give you good ideas <laughs>
3: <laughs> wouldn't we all be so fortunate to get good ideas from smart people uh we will be uh, right back with uh leadership development news and marshall goldsmith will be talking to us more we'll be right back
0: The bottom line in business, Voice America Business.
1: Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with the leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speed. All leaders rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: Adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look, These are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, then you add them up.
6: Man, that's easy.
1: Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher. But without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. i got to deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council.
0: The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business.
1: You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Doctors Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Dr.
2: Marshall Goldsmith. And, uh, Marshall, now we want to zero in on some of your um, key behaviors from your book. What got you there won't get you, what got you here won't get you there. And uh, maybe before we do that, if you can give us your website, you know, with the library, because I know I've been there numerous times. You have a lot of great, you know, free resources.
4: Uh, My library is called www.marshallgoldsmithlibrary.com. And as you mentioned, I give everything away. People can copy, share, download, duplicate, anything. And visitors from 188 countries have looked at 1.6 million different things.
2: Well, wow, that's great.
4: Okay, well, thank you. And, and uh, I
2: guess you have 20 um, behaviors there, and we're going to go through some depending on how much time we have. But So one of them that's in the uh, front of the book is winning too much. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can talk about that and, and some, maybe give us some examples.
4: Well, it's interesting. One of the classic challenges of winners is winners like to win. And not that winning is a bad thing. The problem is winning all the time is a bad thing. Uh, If it's important, we want to win. Meaningful, we want to win. Trivial, we want to win. And not worth it, we want to win. And the example I give at 75% of my clients fail this case study is I say, I want you to imagine you want to go to dinner at Restaurant X. Your husband, wife, partner, friend, or significant other wants to go to dinner at restaurant Y. You have a heated argument. You go to restaurant Y. It's not your choice. Food tastes awful and the service is terrible. (laughs) Option A, critique the food. Point out your partner was wrong. This mistake could have been avoided if they listened to me, 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 me. (laughs) Option B, shut up, eat the stupid food, try to enjoy it, and have a nice evening. Well, what would I do? What should I do? 75% of my clients, what would I do? Critique the food. What should I do? Shut up. Well, it's very hard for successful people not to constantly go through life winning. And one, one of my clients, the CEO of a big company, asked him, what did you learn from me? And what did you learn about leadership as a CEO? And he said, I learned a hard lesson as a CEO. My suggestions become orders. Mm-hmm. He said, if they're smart, they're orders. If they're stupid, they're orders. If I want them to be orders, they're orders. If I don't want them to be orders, orders anyway. My suggestions become orders ask him what you learn from me? He said before I speak, stop and breathe and ask one question. Is it worth it? And he said, CEO of this big company, fifty percent of the time I I have the discipline to stop and breathe and ask myself, is it worth it? Do you know what I decide? Am I right? Maybe. Is it worth it? No. Unbelievable. We all do it. Yeah. It's hard not to. It's hard not to win because, you know, and we're reinforced for winning. One once person asked me, what's the big deal about these Helping these people change. What's the big deal? Well, don't win all the time. Why is that so hard? Well, you're a 55 year old man. His entire life has been spent doing nothing but winning all the time. What? Try to try to stop that. It's not so easy to let it go. It's hard to let it go. So um, anyway, that's the winning too much one. Well, I'll tell you one. That's a big one for me.
3: Is that adding too much value?
4: Well, that's a hard one for all of us. It's very hard for highly educated people. I mean, Kathy, you have a Ph.D., so it's very hard. I have a Ph.D. very, very hard. And what happens is adding too much value, I'm young, smart, enthusiastic. I come to you with an idea. You think it's a great idea. Rather than just saying great idea, our natural tendency is to say that's a nice idea. Why don't you add this to it? The problem is the quality of the idea may go up 5%. My commitment to its execution may go down 50%. It's no longer my idea. It's very hard for smart, successful people not to constantly go through life adding value. And by the way, when we're doing that, a lot of times we're just telling the world how smart we are.
3: Can you put that in a recording and can we put that in a chip? And can (laughs) we start plugging that into people?
4: Well, Well, I mean, Kathy, you've been to faculty meetings before, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, my God. What percent of faculty meetings is thinly disguised? Let me tell you how smart I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. And I'm doing a new survey with my clients. I don't know if I've told you, Kathy, this, but it's fun. I ask them to, to answer this question. What percent of all interpersonal communication is spent on two dialogues? Dialogue one, somebody talking about how smart, special, or wonderful they are. or listening to that. Dialogue, too. So we're talking about how stupid and after bad someone else is or listening to that. You know what the answer is from around the world? The median answer, 65% of all interpersonal communication is spent on that. Wow. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, really? You, know, you yeah. know what I tell people? Yeah. You're too busy now. You want to you want to save some time. You want to increase productivity. <laughs> reduce that number. Yeah, reduce that number. We pick up a whole lot of time. I mean, I, I listen to these. Have you ever listened? Have you ever been driving in the car and listened to the radio call-in shows? People are getting all angry and screaming and yelling. You know, for what?
3: well it's interesting let me let me throw this little statistic out there and see if you can find any more data for me. Um, when we look at the differences between men and women in an organization when they speak, mm-hmm. we find that most men talk about a story mm-hmm. related to their status. Most women talk about a story related to their relationship mm-hmm. right
4: well, you know I I would suggest, talk to Marian Ruderman at Center for Creative Leadership. She's done some interesting research. Mm -hmm. The average woman in 360 feedback is seen as a better leader than the average man. Now, again, that doesn't mean every woman is better than every man. It just means, statistically, the average woman is seen as a better leader than the average man. (laughs) In 360 feedback, the average woman has one issue to deal with consistently more than the average man. That's the desire to be the perfect everything to everybody. Yep. Women consistently carry around one thing more than men, guilt. And the one difference in coaching I have with women and men is with women, I'm much more likely to say, please quit being so hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. And this goes to then the problem I think that,
3: to me, would seep in, which would be something that's in your book, is how to advertise
4: yourself, the whole advertising promotion. Well, again, I think that's a good one. And, And I'm going to talk about that from two perspectives. First, I'll talk about the way I talk about it in the book. And then second, I want to talk about, Kathy, and I've got a good heart, better mirror. Remind me to talk about a specific application of that with women. But I'll first talk about the way I describe, describe it in the book. When I say advertise, I have my clients publicly talk about what they're trying to improve. They, they stand up. My good friend George Boris, CEO of Toyota Financial Services, stands up in front of every manager and says, here's what I'm trying to get better. Steve Sanger, CEO of General Mills, stands up, here's what I want to improve. My clients all publicly stand up. They tell people, here's what I'm trying to get better and ask for help. That's what I mean by advertising. And as you know, Kathy, if my clients are unwilling to stand up and say, I want to get better at something, I don't work with them. It's like Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. the first thing you've got to say? I'm an alcoholic. They're not willing to say, I'm an alcoholic. They're not going to quit drinking. Well, my clients all stand up, in essence, and say, "I'm an we're all an alcoholic about something. Right. right? They all stand up. And here's why this is so important. I've come to the conclusion that 40% of my job is helping my clients change behavior. 60% of my job is creating an environment where people around them give them a chance because mm. we all stereotype people. Mm-hmm. So let's say, Kathy, that your area for improvement is you make too many destructive comments about other people. I'm your coworker.
3: You must know me really. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, if I'm your coworker. You say, you get this feedback. You say, well, I don't need to talk to people or advertise or follow up. I just need to quit making the destructive comments. On the surface, you'd think that would work. But you go seven months and don't make a destructive comment about anybody. Then seven months later, you say, those stupid idiots in finance, idiot bean counters, how we get companies run by a bunch of idiot accountants. I hear you. My first reaction is, Kathy, never changed. Yeah. Situation B, and this is what I refer to as advertising, you say, hey, Marshall, my coworker, here's what I'm trying to get better. Please give me ideas. And you follow up on a regular basis. Hey, based on last month, ideas for next month. Now I realize that you're working on this. I realize you're getting better. And I start saying things like, Kathy, you're really making good progress. Keep it up. And then later, you're eventually going to screw up because we all do. But I realize that you really have made huge improvements. And again, I realize you've changed. And what I teach my clients is other people do not believe we have changed when we tell them. They believe we have changed when they tell us. And this ongoing follow-up, the clients tell you you've changed. They start believing it. So that, what I like about that,
2: Marshall, uh, it really is a kind of a systems perspective, getting people involved. And what I like to tell people, I mean, you mean, you've got two problems. One, you have to make the change. Mm-hmm. And then two, how does anybody know you've made the change? Exactly. So I think you're really zeroing in. And I think it's that second one that, that I think is so elegant, you know, that if you don't involve others and here's what I'm trying to improve, have you noticed that? What else can I do? They're just—they're not paying that much attention to you, and, and they
4: will look for one negative event, yep. which will reinforce their previous stereotype, exactly, and convince them that you have not changed. Yeah, it's actually a, a, what I call that is snapshot management, mm-hmm. and they take four or five
2: snapshots, and if they're all the same, that's you, and, and if they're positive, you're in great shape, but if a couple of those are negative, it takes forever to get rid of those snapshots.
3: But the other thing that I think that Marshall brings up here is and it's something he's taught me over the years, if you don't get a reflection from the people around you and you don't get them involved in your own recovery, just like Alcoholics Anonymous, you're not going to get better.
4: Mm -hmm. And by the way, leadership is not about what we say. Leadership is about what they hear. Yeah, exactly. And we'd all like to believe if we say something, the world changes. Well, there's a big gap between we say and they hear. Or especially we say and they believe. And, and so with that,
2: you were going to say something
4: is specifically on advertising with women. With women, there is one thing I encourage women to do more of, and that's promote themselves. Yeah. A lot of women, and Kathy, you can tell me what you think about this. I think a lot of women have more hesitancy at self-promotion. Mm-hmm. They have this sort of naive belief of, uh, well, if I do a good job, that's all I should have to do. You know, and my work should speak for itself, mm-hmm. and I shouldn't have to promote myself. If that were true, no company would need a marketing function. No, All a company would have to do is do good work, and people would all stand in line and, to buy this. stuff. And just
3: a, a quick story to, to Marshall, uh, bringing up Frances Hesselbein. I was in that conundrum when I was a managing partner at Accenture, mm-hmm. and uh, Frances came to me one day when we were having a, a side conversation, and she said to me, you know, Kathy, uh, you have so much to offer here. And if you don't start promoting yourself in this testosterone uh, addicted environment, uh, you will not be able to deliver your sense of purpose and deliver on the value that you have to offer. And and I do owe uh, my bravery in in doing what Marshall just disclosed um, to Francis.
2: So, so Kathy, and maybe Marshall, you could comment on this for especially women on the line. What are what are some examples of how you would promote yourself? Because I know, you know, probably most people, men and women,
4: think, well, that's just bragging. How do you do it keeping your integrity? Well, it's not just bragging. Here's what I ask the women I work with. One woman, I was teaching this in a large bank, and she said, well, does this mean I'm supposed to show off or brag? You know what? I, I asked her a question. I said, do you think if you get promoted, it is bad or good for this company? You know what she said? Well, it would be good. Uh-huh. Will this help the company or hurt the company?
3: That's an outstanding point, and I'd like to come back to that. We have to take a quick break. You're listening to Leadership Development News, and we are thrilled to have Marshall Goldsmith with us. We'll be right back.
0: The Bottom Line in Business Voice America Business.
2: in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
6: Dad, let's sing that bedtime song. Rock-a-bye, Rock-a-bye baby, baby, by baby by
4: Newton's treetop His first law of motion Make sure you won't stop The same, same rules of physics apply to a ball to While gravity is a, a force that makes things fall By the 6th grade, many girls lose interest in math and
3: science, but it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council.
0: The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business.
1: You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're
2: having our last segment here with Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, who wrote, uh, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. We're looking at some of the uh, key behaviors that leaders may need to to stop. And one of them, Marshall, is speaking when angry. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that one.
4: Well, you know, one of the things that Kathy mentioned is, one of the people she mentioned is Francis Hasselby. And Francis, has a good quote on that. She said, why should we be expected to control anything else if we can't control ourselves? Mm. first person we need to learn how to control is ourselves. Um, I think very important to avoid speaking when angry or out of control. And um, also, I'll talk about this later, sending emails when angry or out of control is even more important. An example I use in my book involved my daughter, Kelly. I'm very proud of my daughter. She's in a Ph.D. at Yale, started the play, Queen of the Prom, President Class. Wonderful daughter. When she was 15, she did something Daddy was not so thrilled with. She was a pioneer in the world of navel rings, and there's news having a navel ring, if nobody can see it. So she gets this sleazy little outfit to highlight the navel ring. So, you know, Daddy comes home, sees sleazy outfit, navel ring. I reacted with something less than wild enthusiasm, yelling, screaming, ranting, raving. Well, years later, I'm in a little Buddhist monastery and meditating, and the, the guru, Thich Nhat Thang, said, we meditated on anger. He said, think of a time in your life when you became angry and lost control of your behavior. I came up with this case study. Then he said, who was responsible for what happened? Well, I, I realized what was going on in my mind. My first thought was her walking down the street and somebody saying, what a cheap-looking kid. I wonder who her father is. My second thought, even worse, my own friends. I'm amazed Marshall lets his daughter look this way. Who was I concerned about, her or me? Me. Where was the biggest problem, her navel ring or my ego, my own ego? And, you know, if I had to do it over, I still might have said, get rid of the navel ring, but I didn't have to yell and scream and rant and rave and act like an idiot. Very hard when we get angry to take a breath, look in the mirror, and say how much of this problem is out there and how much of this problem is in here. And 80% of the time when we get angry, the biggest problem is not out there. The biggest problem is in here. And we necessarily can't change out there, but, you know, we can change in here.
2: You know, uh, Marshall, this is maybe just a different question. I know you're bringing in your uh, Buddhism, uh, and I think the self-management piece for executives, uh, Just maybe you can talk a little bit about any kind of meditation or relaxation that you found successful with uh, executives or leaders, mostly because I think, that could probably be one of the most valuable things for themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm a practitioner myself, mm-hmm. but I don't think, you know, at times I've tried to teach them, very,
4: very few ever do it. I'm wondering if you found any. Well, like I, don't, I don't do that in my coaching. Well, one thing I do that's a Buddhist technique is called feed forward. Mm-hmm. And feed forward is a very Buddhist exercise. Buddha said, only do what I teach if it works in the context of your own life. If it doesn't work in the context of your own life, don't do it. Well, the feed-forward process, I have everybody ask not for feedback about the past, but ideas for the future. And when you get the ideas, you're taught to shut up, listen, take notes, and just say thank you. No matter what the idea is, you don't judge, you don't critique. And you look at these ideas like a gift. And if you want to do it, you do it. And if you don't want to do it, you don't. You just shut up, listen, take notes, and say thank you. You don't judge the other person. I've done this exercise with tens of thousands of people around the world. They all pick one behavior they want to improve. They talk to as many people as they can. They get ideas, and all I say is thank you, and they share ideas, and the other person says thank you. At the end of the exercise, I ask people, give me a word to describe this activity. People say it's positive, useful, helpful, or even fun, and I ask them, what's the last word you think to describe any feedback activity? I say, fun. Why do people say this is fun? Well, I say it's focused on a future you can't change, not a past you can't change. It's positive, looking what you can do, not what you can't do. There's no judging or critiquing, and if I allow people to judge or critique ideas, they spend twice as much time debating the value of the ideas as listening to the ideas. That oh, They go on and on about all these positive reasons, and it's two ways, not one way. So, for example, really, you come to me and say, Marshall, I want to get better at X. Please help me. I give you ideas. I say, really, I can get better. Why help me? Let's see how different that feels than you say, you get better. You get better. So it's everybody trying to help each other as opposed to judge each other. It takes out that superiority, inferiority thing where we're just regular old folks trying to help everybody get better. So, you know, four words I think that tie into this for better coaching, and Buddha would sort of agree on these, help more, judge less.
3: Beautiful. If we could all use that. We could all actually focus on
4: doing that. And most of our friends and family members would be more than happy if we helped a tad more and judged a tad less.
3: And do you consider that
4: feed-forward? Yes. Yeah, That's I described as that feed-forward exercise, is that idea of ongoing a- and asking that question, how can I be a better? How can I be a better friend? How can I be a better parent? And, Kathy, I don't know if I told you the story. There's a new application of this I learned. I was teaching at the Kaiser Permanente Hospital Company about two or three years ago, and a woman went to my class, and she said, there's one thing you've always left out. You should teach people to do this with their parents. So she went out and asked her mother, how can I be a better daughter? Mm. And her mother said, well, you know, Dad's dead. I live alone. Every day I take this long walk up to drive to the mailbox. Almost every day there's nothing in the mailbox.
2: Mm.
4: And every day that makes me lonely. She said, it would mean so much to me as your mother if you send me little pictures or cards or something. So when I go to the mailbox, there might be something in the mailbox. Yeah. She started sending her mother little pictures and cards, you know. What did that mean to her mother? Everything. Uh-huh. What it cost her? Nothing. She sent me an email about a month ago. Her mother just died. The last thing her mother said was, thank you for all the cards and pictures mm-hmm. and letters you sent to me. What's that worth? I think you got us speechless here.
2: (laughs) Uh, Very powerful, and it is going back to I think what we said earlier: with one asking, and sometimes what you need to to do or change, or kind of some small things, but they make a huge, huge difference.
4: Wasn't a small thing to
3: her mother.
2: Yeah,
4: yeah.
3: So um, as we uh, begin to kind of close out here, what are some of the things that you'd like our listeners to know about you and your work? your website, uh, you have so many free, wonderful materials that you offer the public. How do they reach you? Well,
4: Well, again, if you just go to, if you want to reach me personally, Marshall at marshallgoldsmith.com is my email address, or you can go to my website, and again, please feel free to copy, share, download, duplicate, anything from any of my materials. I don't, you know, somebody said he'd stolen my materials, and it's impossible. You cannot steal what people give you. (laughs) I give everything away. And then some Kathy is you know, some people are so paranoid about things. My stuff's all out in Word documents. You know what I tell people? They say, Oh, that's terrible. Somebody could modify it. You know what? Good. You want to modify it? Go ahead. (laughs) Don't Don't care. We
3: do come from that mentality of abundance and sometimes I think it does
4: shock people. (laughs) No, it doesn't matter to me. You want to change a few words around, make things better? Go ahead. Send me a copy of it. Maybe it'll help me.
3: Outstanding.
2: Well, so Marshall, maybe as we as we end here, what's kind of the anything is the newest thing on the horizon? It's not like this peer coaching you got excited about or any other kind of thing. Oh, well, we let end me. Here? How much
4: time do we have left?
2: I think only probably about thirty seconds or so. Well,
4: uh, favorite exercise is imagine you're ninety five years old. You're just getting ready to die. You're on your deathbed, but before you take your last breath, you're given a great gift: the ability to go back in time and talk to the persons listening to this broadcast. What advice would the old person who knew what mattered about life and what didn't have for this person listening?
2: So this has been Leadership Development Parting words, what would this old person say to, to people today to uh, learn and improve? So Leadership Development News, thank you very much, Marshall. And we'll be signing off.
4: Thank you.